very much. Ooh, there we are. Thank you very much for giving me the great honor to be able to give you God's word this morning. And uh, Ademi, thank you for the invitation, and I do appreciate our times that we get to spend together, and I am also very much encouraged every time we, we do meet. This morning, uh, the text that I have for you is 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're going to basically go through this passage, but there's going to be lots of other scriptures that I give. You don't have to turn to every place that I'm going to go to, uh, but we're going to camp out right here. And my aim this morning is to exposit the passage for you all, and in doing so, my hope is that you will come away with a clear understanding of how God expects and provides for each of us to care for one another with the care that we need. So let's read the passage. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as Christ's sufferings overflow in abundance to us, so also our comfort through Christ overflows abundantly too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you also will share in our comfort. So there's a lot here. Um, and, you know, we have lots of passages in Scripture that call us to love and serve one another. Galatians 5 is one that says, serve one another in love. But the question is, how does God expect us to do that? How exactly does that work? Philippians 2 says, let each of you look not only for his own interests, but also look out for the interests of others. But what does that look like? How do we actively live that out? So as we make our way through this passage in 2 Corinthians, uh, we should answer three questions together. I think there's three questions we can ask of the text that it answers. Here's question number one. What is the care that God knows that we need? That's first. What is the care that God knows we need? The second question we can ask is, how does God provide that care that we need? How does he provide it? And then the third question is, how can we live so that we give and receive the care that we need? And that gets us to our application. So those are the three questions. What is the care that we need? How does God provide it? And then how do we actually live so that we give and receive that care? So let's tackle the first question. What is the care that we need? And it starts out in verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. You can probably tell the key word in this passage is comfort. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's actually used 10 times here, and that's one-third of all the times it appears in the New Testament. So it's like a big focus right here. This is the big word. Um, and it also can be translated encouragement or consolation. It's actually the same word that Jesus uses to describe the Holy Spirit when he's teaching about 
uh, what, what we do in comfort and affliction and what his disciples need. He says this in John 14, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the comforter, the paraclete, that's the Greek word, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So, answer to the first question, comfort. Comfort is the care that we need in the midst of affliction on this side of the fall. Because think about it, what was the care that God provided Adam and Eve before the fall? What was the care he gave them? Uh, Dr. Robert Chong in his book, Restore, says it this way. I love how he puts it. It's, there's a lot of description here. God cared for them in a holistic way. God created them in his image. He gave them breath. He sustained them. God was always with them. God spoke to them and shepherded them with his words. God satisfied their souls with his loving presence and gave their bodies rest as they lived and worked in his peaceful dwelling place. God protected them and provided for their every need. God gave them purpose and an identity in him so they could join him in having dominion over creation. And the first man and woman were not only cared for by God, but they cared for one another. Adam and Eve were perfectly cared for as they loved God with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. While they submitted to, depended upon, and follow God in every aspect of their lives. That was the care before the fall. And do we still need that care? Yes. But it looks different on this side of the fall. Now, care doesn't come to us in a paradise. It comes to us in the midst of brokenness, in the midst and in response to life's troubles. And so that means comfort. That's what Jesus said. John 16, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. So it's because we have trouble and affliction in life that the care we need is God's comfort. So what is that? What is comfort? Um, The word comfort, it, it refers to a specific emotional, physical experience. Um, It's an experience that produces this sensation of just resolution. It produces a sensation of acceptance of your reality. It's uh, comfort, consolation, encouragement. These are all ideas that try to get at um, this experience of strength to endure or cope with life's pain. That's the idea behind comfort. Comfort is an experience that allows you to move forward with life, usually in a with a positive outlook, a positive mental state. And each of us knows the experience of comfort. We know what this is. Um, Our mothers were the first ones who taught us what comfort is. When we cried as infants, they held us. When we were hungry, they fed us. Perhaps we don't even know what we want or need in the moment. Uh, Sometimes it's just a feeling in our bodies that we know there's something not right. And we need comfort. We need something. We need the feeling of being held, of knowing that we're not alone, of knowing that we are loved. So that's the first comfort that we experience as human beings. And so hear this. Our God 
is the God of all comfort. That's what the text says. He's the one who formed the relationship between parent and child. He's the one who came up with this system of comfort. He was the first comforter to Adam and Eve in their affliction when they sinned. He's the ultimate comforter because he invented the experience. So if you are in need of comfort, look to your God, the God of all comfort. And there's something about God's comfort that he offers. It's real. It's real comfort because the afflictions are not theoretical. They are real. Jesus' afflictions, our affliction, it's not theoretical. Paul makes this clear with his own uh, reference in verse 8. He says, he talks about our afflictions in Asia. This is what he says right after the text. Uh, For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we'd received the death sentence. He's feeling the weight of life's turmoil. And what were they? He actually um, lists them out later on in the letter. This is chapter 11. These are Paul's afflictions. Five times I received at the hand of the Jews 40 lashes, minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, toil and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from these things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. At Damascus, the governor ordered to seize me. Who is weak and I'm not weak? Who is made to fall and I'm not indignant? But if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. This is Paul. This is who wrote this letter, these words, talking about comfort from God. He experienced real affliction, immense physical, psychological affliction in his effort to be faithful to Jesus and what he called him to do. He knew real afflictions, so he spoke of real comfort. And he could actually boast about his weaknesses, boast about his afflictions. He got to the point where he was proud of them. And I think it's interesting because we typically don't think of shipwreck and getting beat up and going hungry as a sign of God's blessing, something to boast about, right? If we look at Paul through an earthly, short-sighted perspective, which is typically how we look at things, it doesn't seem like God cared very well for Paul. Why would he allow him to suffer so many bad things? Why would God allow that to happen? Is this how we understand care? Protection from life's afflictions, from suffering? Paul dedicated his whole life to Jesus, and so from the earthly perspective, we could probably honestly say that his life was pretty terrible. Why do I, why do I say that? Why do I think that we think this way? Well, when we look at a struggling homeless person on the street, we don't say, man, they're blessed by God. And when we see things start to go wrong in our own life, how do we respond? When bad things start happening, when your kids are screaming at you and throwing things, when you're trying to love them, do you really feel God's blessing and care in that moment? Not naturally. It's not the first thing. When you're passed up for a promotion at work, even though you're more qualified, do you feel God's blessing and care in that moment? Well, no, that's not where we naturally go. So, 
what is my point? My point is this. It's not the circumstances of our lives that tell us that God is caring for us. That's not how we know. Instead, we look at God's presence in our life. We look at his promises and we trust in his power. That's what reveals God's care for us. And it's because we live in a broken world that's in rebellion against God that our lives are full of trouble and affliction. We experience the brokenness. We're no longer in Eden. We don't have physical access to God in a harmonious environment anymore, like Eden. And we don't even have access to him through sinless souls. But we do have access to God's throne of grace through the sinlessness of another. So that's why this idea of comfort in the passage is actually specifically linked to Jesus as the Messiah, if you look at it. Um, And for the mind who is steeped in the Old Testament, comfort, that idea, is a core theme of messianic prophecy. Let me show you a couple places. Isaiah 40, this is what it says. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. A voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord. Comfort is connected with the coming of the Messiah. Isaiah 61, Jesus stands up at the temple and he says, this has been fulfilled. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound, proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. Again, this idea of comfort is attached to what happens when the Messiah comes? And so that's what we need is care from God through Christ. It's not to keep all the bad stuff in our life from happening, but comfort from God in the midst of life's troubles. So this actually provides the key clue for our next question. How does God provide the care that we need? And the answer is in verse 5. He says, for just as Christ's sufferings overflow in abundance to us, so also our comfort through Christ overflows abundantly too. So it is through Christ that comfort overflows because it was his suffering that overflows for us. We have comfort from our God in the sufferings of our Messiah. Comfort overflows from God through Jesus to us. That's the idea here. And this is where we can really dive into the source of our comfort in this passage. It is Jesus, our suffering Messiah. So I want to break down three ways. I'm sure there's more, but there's three ways that I can see that Jesus comforts us, how God's comfort flows through him. Here's the first thing. We are comforted by knowing that we are not alone in our suffering. Jesus suffers with us. That's the first comfort in Christ. It's from Hebrews 4. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. See, Jesus endured your every temptation. And he wasn't some superhuman hero given the royal treatment in life, but he came just as an ordinary person like the rest of us, lived in ordinary life's troubles, 
had to deal with things. And this is what Isaiah 53 gets at. It says, he, Christ grew up before God like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne all our griefs and carried our sorrows. There's something unique about Jesus in that he wasn't just some supernatural vision. He was real. Leaders of other religions and stories about other gods are vastly different from Jesus. See, they give people a manual for salvation or they give someone a moral lesson from a story. But Jesus is the Savior. If someone is drowning, you can't save them by throwing them a manual for how to swim. Jesus dives in the water himself. He suffers life with us. He lived every aspect of our life, and on the cross he went a step further where he endured something we will never have to face if we're united to him by faith, God's judgment and wrath for sin. And that's why Hebrews 2 says, in every respect, he had to be made like his brothers. So there's real comfort in Christ's presence with you in your suffering because it means you're never alone. It's a message you were supposed to learn as an infant and now you can receive it in Christ. You're not alone in your suffering. The second comfort we receive through our Messiah is this. We're comforted by knowing that we are infinitely loved. Jesus suffered for us. Several passages here to bring up. Ephesians 2, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. 1 John 3 says, it's by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. See what kind of love the Father has poured out on us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Romans 5 says it this way, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one might dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In Romans 8, If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? There is not anything in all creation that will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so we do not have to be afraid of things in life or even of death. We can have confidence. Jesus took death for us. Uh, Donald Ray Barnhouse, he was a pastor in Philadelphia many years ago. His wife died, and he is driving his kids to their mother's funeral. And on the way, um, there's a semi-truck that, that passed by, and it, it basically came in the way of the sun, so they were totally in the shadow, right? You've had this experience, I'm sure, before. Um, truck's going by, and they're, they're covered in the shadow of the truck. And he's thinking about this, and he's reflecting on how to comfort his kids, you know, as they're driving to the funeral. And he, he looks at the situation, and he says, um, kids, do you see that truck? I said, yeah. 
well, would you rather get hit by the truck or by the shadow of the truck? And it's actually the youngest that spoke up, and he said, well, by the shadow. So he said, kids, it's going to be all right. Jesus was hit by the truck so that mommy only has to pass through its shadow. This is the comfort that he gave his grieving children, that Jesus got run over by death so that you and I only have to pass through its shadow. So no matter what happens to us in life, we can have confidence that God is caring for us as his beloved children, that our troubles are not punishment or retribution for our sin. Past, present, and future, Christ took the anger of God for all of our sin. He took it onto his body and he died with it on the cross. So it's dealt with. There is no more vengeance for you in this life from God. Our troubles are not due to God's lack of care and attention for us. I mean, he was willing to be tortured, to be humiliated, to be murdered, and then to suffer the wrath we deserve for our sins. So will he stop looking out for you now? There's no way he would invest all of that into you and then leave you alone. No, we can know there is real comfort in God's love in the midst of your afflictions because Christ took all divine punishment in your place. He loved you to the end, and he will continue to love you to the end. Third and finally, where we get comfort in Christ is we're comforted by knowing that our suffering has meaning. Jesus suffered to secure us a future. 2 Corinthians 5 says, For our sake, God made Christ to be sin, him who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's a purpose here in Christ's sufferings, and it flows over to us. Uh, This is the same letter, right? 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 4. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. That's why we're weak. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be displayed in our bodies. Our physical suffering in life has a purpose to display the life and the glory of Christ. So he says, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparing. And what is it? It's the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And It gets even better, I think, because the Spirit himself in Romans 8 bears witness that we are children of God. And if we're children, then we are inheritors, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. You see in this link between suffering and glory? And then there's this vision at the end that we're waiting for. Revelation 22. This is our future. This is where we're headed. This is what our sufferings are accomplishing. This is meant to be a comfort for you. No longer will there be anything accursed, 
but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city. And his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be written on their foreheads. Night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. See, it's through Christ that we are now legal inheritors of God's eternal kingdom. It's because of Christ's death, his resurrection and ascension that we have an eternal future waiting for us that is secure. And it's in Christ where we will reign forever with him. There's real comfort in knowing that that future is secured because we're in Christ. So why have I given you so much scripture here? You may like be confused and it's like I'm kind of going a lot of places. But here's the point. God's comfort is only accessed as we believe his words. God provides his comfort through the promises of his words, which help us experience his presence and then live by his power. So that's how we receive the comfort. It's through our Messiah. And then the third question we ask of this text, and I'm getting toward the end here, we can, how can we live so that we give and receive the care that we need to one another? This is verse 6 and 7. Paul says, if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you also will share in our comfort. So we give and receive the comfort, the care we need through patiently suffering with and on behalf of one another. Or said another, another way, we comfort one another when we suffer well together. Notice that in verse 7, sharing and suffering produces confidence in one another's faith. He says, our hope for you is unshaken for this reason. There's this reality that those who suffer together are connected with a bond of true sympathy and connection. Imagine the kind of love that would be evident among this body of faith as you loved one another and got close enough to experience life's sufferings together. This is a high calling. And there are real barriers to it. Um, there are barriers to experiencing this, and there are reasons why we don't fully live in uh, what Paul is giving us as an example. So I want to take a moment... And just look at some of these barriers. And this is going to be, application is going to come from these of how do we give and receive comfort from one another. So this is the first barrier that we can run into for why we don't give and receive comfort to one another. And that is, we ourselves are not receiving comfort from Christ. This is the first barrier. So we call ourselves disciples of Jesus. But do we Engage in the practices that Jesus himself lived by. First John 2 says, Whoever says that I know him, but does not keep his commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is matured. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says that he abides in him ought to walk in the same way 
in which he walked. And this is a hard word. It's very convicting. The question is, do we live our lives like Jesus? Do we walk as he walked? Do we, for example, like Jesus, prioritize silence and solitude? We see it in every single gospel. Are we regularly joining Jesus and getting away from the crowds, stepping away from the noise, our families, uh, just getting away by ourselves with our Father? Are we providing ways for each one of us to do that? Is this a priority? Or another example that Jesus gave us is, are we fasting and praying for the restoration of brokenness in our world? There's an expectation that as his disciples, we're going to follow after him. Are we serving one another? Are we laying down our wants and even our needs at times to help someone else in need? Are we truly following him? Are we practicing his way of life adapted to our context? That's the challenge. Are we constantly going to God through his word and prayer in order to receive real comfort from him? In our suffering. Because here's what I'm convinced of if we do not meditate on God's promises through His Word, we will not experience His presence and we will lack His power at work in our minds to patiently endure suffering. That's what we'll receive. A lack of personally following the way of Jesus is a barrier to comforting others. And this barrier is overcome by committing to effort to put forth a plan and prepare and practice the habits of Jesus. That's how we overcome that barrier. There's another barrier. Uh, this one uh, keeps us from being able to comfort one another. It's more cultural. Uh, we're afraid to give and receive comfort because we fear sharing our afflictions. Everybody knows you're supposed to handle your own problems, right? Don't burden someone else. Families should be self-sufficient to take care of their own. Mind your own business. Where do these virtues come from? They don't come from Scripture. I read it earlier, Philippians 2. Let each of you look not only for your own interests, but for the interests of others. Or Galatians 6. Bear one another's burden, and you'll fulfill the teaching of Christ. We don't want to share our burdens, because then people will know us. The weak us. And this is a great hindrance to unity and comfort in any body of believers. We try to boast in our put-togetherness rather than practicing boasting in our weakness, like Paul shows us. And so we're not able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort we ourselves receive from God if we're all hiding our afflictions from one another. You just can't do it. And so the challenge is, are we really that different from our culture around us, from the people around us? Are we a different community? And if you find it's not happening on your own, this way of giving and receiving care and being open about your afflictions, um, maybe you need to set aside intentional time and space to do that with trusted people in the church. The barrier, this barrier, is overcome through challenging our cultural value assumptions and committing to live vulnerably with one another. You begin to move toward this way of life by considering your God who made himself vulnerable for you. He was humiliated when he came. He was exposed. He was weak. He was killable. 
That's what he did to come to you. So you can be, make yourself vulnerable for him and for others. Third barrier. Uh, again, this is cultural, but I think this is a real barrier to being able to comfort one another the way the text calls us to. We live in comfort, and we habitually pursue comfort through illegitimate sources that God has not provided. What do I mean? Uh, I'm calling myself out in this. I'm fully guilty of this. I don't mean sinful activities. Uh, I mean comfort eating, streaming movies, gardening, YouTube, social media, fantasy football, video games. None of these things are wrong to engage in, but they become false comforts, pseudo-comforts, when we use them to manage our pain rather than drawing near to God and to his people. And there are some of you who are aware of this and you're, you're, you're thinking along this vein, but I think a lot of us is just, we're like fish in water. We're so oblivious to it. We don't even notice what's happening. And we have this example in Moses, as Hebrew 11, Hebrews 11 says this, by faith, Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. The majority of us who have been born and raised in America, I think, are more like animals bred in captivity. <laughs> We're so, we, we can't survive out in the wild, almost. Uh, it's to the point where the sufferings and affliction of the church and the majority of history and throughout the world is almost unfathomable to us. And I think worse than that, we're so used to our Western first century comforts that we're just not willing to open ourselves up to affliction. And so then we don't receive the comfort from God of patiently enduring suffering with others. I think it's a real barrier for us. So he says in verse 6, you experience comfort when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. We short-circuit God's provided means of his comfort when we turn to creature comforts rather than to him and to one another. I, I don't see us enduring suffering with patience. Rather, we're, we're comforting ourselves and receiving our reward and consolation from Netflix and Disney Plus and fill in the blank. We create comforters. And my fear is it's like Oreos versus broccoli. Um, broccoli will nourish you. And in time, it will please you. But Oreos will immediately please you and every time, even though it won't nourish you. And so you'll begin to be conditioned for Oreos, not the broccoli. And so your choice of comfort can ruin your appetite for what provides true comfort and nourishment. It's a real challenge. And this is the reality we must accept to overcome the third barrier of illegitimate comforts. We're following a crucified Messiah. The Christian community is a community of those who are following Christ into the troubles of life, suffering together and bearing up under it together. Jesus suffered affliction to comfort and reconcile a world that was alienated from God and afflicted. His punishment brought us peace. And so, Paul, as an apostle of Jesus, and we, as disciples of Jesus, we follow in that same pattern of suffering for the sake of others. We are Christians, which means little Christs. I don't know if you knew that. 
So we are a community of Christ who are conforming to his image for his purposes. Philippians 2 said that suffering as a Christian is actually God's gift to you. This is what it says. You have been granted that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. 1 Peter 2 says, if, you, if when you do good and you suffer for it and you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Suffering is actually a part of how we display Christ in our lives. And so how is it that we can live so that we give and receive this comfort, the care that we need? I'm going to summarize here three things. We receive comfort from God through living our life following Jesus. Then we'll be able to comfort others with the comfort we receive from him. The second thing is we live communally. We openly share our afflictions with one another so that we can receive God's comfort together. The reality is the Christian community should be the most honest and uh, open community on the planet because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And we are members of one another. That's what the scripture says. And the third thing is we resist and repent of socially acceptable yet illegitimate sources of comfort for our afflictions. And we develop the appetite for comfort from God. And we patiently endure suffering with one another. So in all of these things, there's a hope. There's an encouragement here. And I close with this. God does not waste your suffering. It's not about your cultural conformity to the world, but it's your transformation into a new humanity that God is after. Verse 7, he says, Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. So it's because Christ rose and he ascended the throne of heaven, and because we're united to him by faith, that we have a glorious future ahead of us. We've been called according to his purpose, and so we are Christ's ambassadors in the world. We're proclaiming the end of all the kingdoms of this world that are based on self-glorification and coercion, and instead we are pronouncing that Jesus Christ reigns supreme. And we are calling all people to repent and be reconciled to God. That's That's our purpose here. And the way that this community lives and relates to one another, that will be a sign of the coming kingdom. You don't need to go start a street evangelism ministry to do this. It's your relationships with one another that is your witness to the world. Think about what Jesus said here. A new commandment I give to you, John 13. Love one another. As I've loved you, so you must also love one another because by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And he ties this in with his prayer, John 17. By your love for one another, you you will tell the world. The world will know that Jesus really was sent from God and God really does love you like he loves Christ. 1 John 4 has this amazing statement and I just want to close with this idea. He says, dear friends, since God has so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us 
and his love is made complete in us. So it's caring for one another by offering the comfort we have in Christ. That's the way that we witness to the world what God is really like. They can't see God, but they can see you. The way you live and love one another is the way they really see him. People will see God in us by the way we love and care for one another. Suffering the same sufferings, experiencing the same comforts, comfort from our God. And that's the care we need that actually will witness to the world who God truly is. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this word of comfort. We thank you that it is not, it is not unreachable, it is not unattainable, um, that your word is very near to us, um, that we can hold on to it, that we can go to it every day. And so, Lord, I pray that we would follow after you. We would fill our minds with your word, with your promises. And as we do, Lord, I pray that you would just give us that experience of your presence, of your comfort, as we're reminded of how much we're loved, reminded of how much you're with us, and we're reminded of where you're taking us. So help us to change what we need to change, to stay true to what we are, are doing right, so that we love one another, that we give the comfort that you're calling us to. Help us to think creatively and to walk following your spirit, being prompted by you for how we do this. Lord, help us to receive the comfort that you have for us so that we can truly comfort one another. Make us bold in doing this. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.